We talk about uh, the whole Fox News settlement thing today. And yeah. we didn't get into this, but Jim Gary wrote a piece and he said th- three things to learn from, from this, from a media, big media company perspective. One, there can be catastrophic financial consequences for adopting or repeating the lies of, of the former president. Uh, two, the network's responsible journalism is not a useful legal defense against the network's irresponsible and defamatory jur- journalism. Wow. And three, this one I think is, is interesting because I think this one is probably really going to happen, which is it is unlikely that networks like Fox News can afford to keep loose cannon hosts anymore. And I think like this is going to be the lesson from a lot of the a lot of these, especially on the right corporate media types that are going to say we can't take chances with people who of say course. things that are risky right because we might lose 787 million dollars right it won't happen on cnn no. it won't happen on msnbc but it will happen on fox and let me ask you who do they define as a loose cannon right you know exactly it's not going to be you know of course you you do have a responsibility as a broadcasting company to I, keep I a, think a so legitimate too. loose I cannon think, off the air i think tucker Fits that. That's what they will. Yeah, I mean, now, but they won't say that. Maybe Tucker's big enough because he's so popular that he can avoid. Con- I, and again, I think I his, think so. his the way he handled uh, that particular case. I mean, he was outwardly skeptical of, of wild claims. I don't think they have any case against him here. But every time blah 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 media matters releases a report, there's going to be the 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 uh, sphincters of the executives mm-hmm. are going to clench thinking about these types of settlements and it's just another way for the left to control speech yep yep they always even if the left doesn't win they win it's always lose lose for the right always it seems to be they're just way ahead way ahead all right the uh the podcast is great today you don't want to miss a second of it um let me tell you it's brought to you by relief factor if you have pain, get out of pain. Oh, really? Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. I tried everything to get out of pain and couldn't get rid of it and enjoy my life. I could get rid of it. You know, doctor would give you all kinds of drugs. Yeah, man. And then, like, you'd be like, so, wait a minute. <sighs> what? I can't live my life that way. Relief factor. It is possible to get out of pain. of the people who try Relief Factor for their three-week quick start go on to order more month after month. Relief Factor. Go to relieffactor.com, call 800, the number 4 relief, and get the 1995 three-week quick start. Again, relieffactor.com, 800, the number 4 relief. important that we all draw our lines we all we all look at what's really happening uh and what's affecting our decisions to stand or not stand um you know some people just just won't do it and they're on our side and you know it's fine i'm not going to judge anybody um but others are doing it because they just don't want the hassle. They don't want to be unpopular. They want to fit in. And this is what's, this is what's happening uh, in our classrooms. Our kids are learning from this. And it's normal. You, especially in this society, kids want to be noticed. They want to be special. 
they certainly don't want to be out of the cool kids club. I've been out of the cool kids club my entire life. Would I like to be in the cool kids club? Sure. Do I care? Not at this point. I mean, if I cared, I'd probably lose a few LBs, but nope, don't care. Okay. However, I want to show you how insidious this is because it is natural to feel this way. I was just rejected as a member uh, at a at a club. Mm. Now, I, I I've lived in this neighborhood forever. I, I I passed on the membership when we moved in because, you know, you get a golf member and I don't play golf and I don't hang out at country clubs. No, thank you. So Tanya and I just passed on it. Never even thought of it until recently, maybe two years ago. And, uh, you know, usually things go quickly, but no, because there's a couple of people that disagree with me politically. And so I jumped through extra hoops and had extra meals with extra people and asked, you know, they questioned my integrity and everything else. And I just about lost my mind during that. But I thought, you know what? I just want it because I have so many meetings now at our dinner meetings. Tanya doesn't trust anyone. So we don't ever have anyone over at the house ever uh and it drives me nuts but okay so we can't have anybody over the house so if i want to have a business meeting i have to drive into dallas or if i have something where it's you know kind of a friend but not you know not a friend not like you Stu, that she will let in the house Ooh, I'm on the list. I want to have dinner, and I want to have it, like, I, I'd like to just be able just to walk there. Yeah, and close by. Yeah, not sure. have security and everything else. So when they rejected me, what, a couple of weeks ago, I found myself caring all of a sudden because now I wasn't in the Cool Kids Club. <laughs> now I've been rejected from the Cool Kids Club. Mm. That only made me, you know, want to build a 500-foot flagpole in the property that I happen to own right on the other side of the fence of that club and fly the biggest freaking <laughs> pirate flag you've ever seen. But, uh, you know, the uh, my better angels occasionally, uh, uh, you know, uh, help me out a bit. But anyway, um, this is so normal. And if it's happening to somebody like me where I'm feeling that and I hate it. Wait, what's normal? The, just the... F- Wanting to be to fit in. Mm. Okay. That's what's happening with our kids. Culture is being jammed down their throat, not only in the school by the school teachers, you know, and all of the all of all of the stuff that's going on in their schools, but also all throughout social media. You can be special. You can be recognized. You can be protected in a in a in a even more special class than just a kid. If you're trans, bi, whatever. Right. And it gives you a special status. Exactly that you're right. probably desiring for other reasons. And I think between that and the fact that kids, I mean, I would have done this when I was a kid. I would have said, you know, yeah, I'm a turtle today. If, if you had to, because I would just love being able to have that control over the teacher. Because that makes you popular because you're the one that can... You know, I got a little power over the teacher. 
Oh, a hundred percent. Hundred percent. I would absolutely. I would. I would request the school to build me turtle tunnels that oh I'd have my to climb, crawl through. Absolutely, each, from class to class. I mean, I can remember every other week or so there would be some cause at our school that people would walk out for, and there would be this big protest and. The local paper would come and say, students united today for blah, blah, blah cause. And I say blah, blah, blah cause because I never knew what the cause was, nor did I ever care. What I knew was we were walking outside of the school in a direction that was not to math class. See, I grew up in a time where we had a bunch of nuns in black habits. Mm-hmm. And you're not getting past them. <laughs> no, you're not, not out. walking out. Nope. Not walking out. You, you have a child. What, what grade is she in? Sarah? She's a freshman in high school. Gosh, I can't believe that. That that does not seem possible. So (laughs) what is she seeing in her school? So she was telling me the other day that uh, you are allowed to pick your pronouns. You're allowed to pick a new name. You're allowed a new identity anytime you want. Anytime, not just at the beginning of the year. Well, I think it's day by day. I mean, it has to be like the day before that day or whatever. Oh, so tomorrow I'm coming as a dinosaur. Well, there's bunny and bunny self. There's what? Wait. Bunny. Bunny. Bunny, Like like Easter bunny bunny? Mm -hmm. Bunny Mm -hmm. and bunny self. Right. So when you talk about yourself, you would refer to bunny self. But the teacher has to call you bunny. And that's not a name change. That is a... a yeah, pronoun change. Yeah, that's the pronoun is bunny. Identity. Let's ask right. for the bunny. Let's ask. What if there's more than one bunny in the class? I, my yeah. gosh, I would have had a field day with this. Oh my this. gosh, oh I my would have been torturing Look my teachers this. with this. Look I know at I how cha- this is an agent <laughs> of chaos. You know, chaos does not come from any place good. Can you imagine being a teacher and and the kids that are just screwing with you? Well, that's the thing. The teachers have to abide by it or they get fired or some sort of suspension. So when you go in and you say I'm they them, but the teacher says, hey, you or he, she, they get in trouble and kids can change their names, can change their identities, whatever they want. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. This is you know what? Have you seen the latest that just came out on Dylan Mulvaney? He wrote a few years ago. This is 2021. Um, he said, I'm a trans non-binary actor and I've had trouble finding roles. So my friend wrote me a femme character in a commercial. The guy, what he's doing now is acting. He claims to be non-binary and trans. Maybe is, you know, he thinks he is. Maybe that's legitimate. It seems legitimate. But what he's doing when everybody's like, he's making fun of girls. That is a character role he's playing. Why? Because he wanted a job. He wanted to be popular. That's all this is. That's all this is. And so when you stand up against it, you get slammed down by the bullies in class. So every time that you ever had a bully in your life and you just like, just, just leave it alone. You trained yourself to just leave it alone. We've got to train our kids to not just leave it alone. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to stand. I've, I've said for years, you're going to college, just get the degree, leave it alone, get the degree. No, no, absolutely I was wrong. What do you mean you say no? So you don't 
uh, speak out against these things. Yeah, just, 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 just write quiet, the paper the that you know you're going to get the degree. Just move on. No. Mm. It is more important to protect your, your uh, integrity muscles. You train mm. yourself that I'm not going to use those. I don't have to use those. No, you need them now more than ever. You must take stands because it's getting weaker and weaker. Look what's happening. How did in 1933, the churches almost dropped the Old Testament within six months of Hitler? He said, you know, a lot of Jewish stuff there. Uh, Okay. Okay. The churches voted and almost dropped the Old Testament. Why? Because they had already been infiltrated. They had already played along, gotten along, didn't stand up for anything, didn't stand up against what was going on. In this, you know, it's like one guy, uh, he was an archbishop, I think. This one guy was the guy who stood up and said, you know, we shouldn't probably be killing our kids and calling them undesirables and and killing out of mercy. I don't think that fits. One guy. And he wasn't popular. Once you lose that, look what's happening. Why do you think Catholic Church is being infiltrated? Why do you think that is? To sow the seeds of distrust? To sow the seeds of, of I don't know, something else? To make sure it stays in line, they're training you. And it's natural to want to be left alone and just be in the cool kids club. You know what? We were born at a time where we don't get that privilege. We instead get the privilege of standing up for what is right and true. That's much better than any stupid club. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Charlie Serafin, uh, the station manager, former station manager uh, at KRLD News Radio here in uh, Dallas during the Waco tragedy, which happened 30 years ago this week. Charlie, welcome. How are you? Good morning. It's my fault. I'll take full responsibility. <laughs> So this must have been really hard. I I know that we uh, wanted to do a special on Waco and the Branch Davidians said they'll do it as long as we run uh, an hour from their perspective. Uh, And we started looking into, you know, what the some of the details on what they wanted and it just wasn't acceptable to us. Uh, so we yeah, didn't good, we didn't good, do it. Good choice on your part. Yeah, good job. it wasn't really a hard stretch on that one. It's a, but you when you were at KRLD, you had children being held hostage and we all saw that train wreck coming. Uh, how did this how did this happen with David Koresh and what were your thoughts during it? Yeah, probably not as much as I saw the train wreck because. Um, I try to cut through it. I know we have limited time. So we got a call into the newsroom that evening, the evening of the shootout. And a 
uh, one of the young producers came out and said, we got a guy on the line claims he's calling from inside the compound. And I said, man, I better take it because my first thought was this is a prank. It's a fraternity somewhere, you know, SMU or something. And some people are going to have some fun with a, you know, a, a serious situation. So I got on the phone, started talking to the guy. The guy was Steve Snyder. I could tell from his accent, he was from Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin. Um, his accent was stronger than mine. And we, at, we come to find out after the fact, he grew up about 45 miles from where I did, about the same time I did. I think he might have been a couple of years older. So anyway, we're having a chit-chat, and I'm trying to ask him questions. Hey, what's going on in there? How many wounded do you have? How many children? What's the deal? Why don't you let the children out? What, you know? And he's very unresponsive because he says, well, I really can't answer that. David would have to answer that. Well, I can't answer that. David would have to answer that. So he kept deferring to David, but uh, and finally he just said, well, here, I'll just – and then he handed the phone over to David. So now I'm talking to David Gresh, and I know it's David Gresh because I've heard his voice on CNN. He did an interview earlier in the evening. And as we're talking, um, he is he is unresponsive. He just goes into a ramble, and it's a biblical-sounding kind of language with a lot of thous and and they's and shalls yeah. and shalt and you know it's got right. lts on the end of the words and all that. But he's not really he's not really there, and he keeps talking about himself in the past tense. The birds of the field shall eat upon the flesh of the lamb, and blah, blah, blah. and he he's going on and on and on about being the lamb, and about being wow. dead. And I'm going, man, this guy is suicidal. And I, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I've dealt with a lot of nutcases in my life. You know, we're in media when we have the opportunity, and he was he was so far out there, and and he just was really tightly wound. And so after about 45 minutes of trying to talk him off the cliff with a lot of funny little nuances in between, only the second half of, or maybe the last 10 minutes of the conversation was recorded because I'm on a business line. They called in on a business line and we can't put that line on the air. We had to transfer them over in order to do it, uh, which we did uh, ultimately. But somebody brought me one of those little suction cups. If you think back 30 years ago. Oh my gosh. So you could record it. Yeah, so we could record it, and the recording was terrible quality, but um, someone transcribed it after the fact. So I have a little bit of our private quote conversation, and I'm again, I'm like a counselor. I'm just saying, like, yeah, but you don't have to die, and what about all your followers, and it's, you know, it could be okay, and what about the children, and let's let some more children out, okay? And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to be as uh, conciliatory as I can, and we put him on the air for a little bit, and he, again, he launched into his biblical gibberish, I would call it. And, um, and then the rest is history. People know most of those stories, but uh, what I have to share with you, Glenn, is just kind of bizarre. When you live through a traumatic experience, and it was a traumatic experience for me. I had, I, you know, I had, I've, I'd interviewed some FBI agents and I'd seen them at the scene of crimes and I covered a lot of stories and stuff like that, but I never had FBI agents calling me at my house in the middle of the night. And I never had the code words with ATF so we could make sure it was really them. And I had never been involved and I'd never been attacked by the journalism community, which the, you know, American society of professional journalists and the Columbia journalism review and all these people. And they're all going like, Oh, these terrible people, they inserted, 
themselves into the story. How could the government, you know, how could the media work with the government? Now, I mean, in, in it, today's world, isn't that a laugh? I mean, really? I, it's it's incredible to me, especially at that time, because I, I know your record. You started at KFRC, worked at K101, uh, KCBS, uh, KNX. I mean, you're a news guy when news guys were news guys. Yeah, it's almost an embarrassment to have that affiliation now because yeah. um, if you tell somebody, you know, you're a news guy, they just, you know, they run. And I don't yeah. blame them because I have the same feeling. It's like, wh- how, how do I have a, we could do a whole program on how it happened because I have a really good theory on journalism school and the concept mm-hmm. of objectivity. But we don't, that's not today. Today is the 30th anniversary, but something I wanted to share with you. So I went through this traumatic experience. And afterwards, and I, we got literally hundreds of letters from people. And uh, I'm going to give you an example. Here's a postcard holding it in my hand. I took it out of the box last night. My wife said, you need to open the box. I said, I don't, I don't know. And she said, open the box. It's a moving box full of stuff, just junk, just all, everything thrown in there. It says, David, you have made about all the points you can make. So I command you and all your people to come out peacefully. Signed, God. <laughs> a desk to David Koresh care of the radio station. And uh, there was, there, there's so much of that stuff. Oh my People gosh. Don't realize how the world, the outside world and from all over the country and foreign countries, People sent us stuff because they had an idea. Here's a here's a tape of my past my favorite sermon from my pastor. Just play this for him and he'll come out. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> so Have you can story. can we get some of that off the air conversation from from you? I'd I'd love to be able to play some of that on the air. Well, I have some of the on-the-air conversation, but the off-the-air conversation, the tape is, it, it may be one of the cassettes in the box, I don't know, because there's some that are not labeled, but I have a transcript of it, and then I found, I just found a lot of, a lot of real, there's a lot of stuff that I would say is funny, because, the, and probably wasn't funny at the time, the people were sincere in trying to solve the problem. Um, I found a letter from a guy from New Jersey who wrote to the president of NBC News on my behalf. I don't know who he is. I didn't, you know, I, I yeah. had no relationship. And he told them that uh, the guy was name was Michael Gartner at the time. And I did two days of interviews with Brian Gumble on live. And that was difficult because he kept asking me about his, you know, David's state of mind. And I didn't want to say the guy's a nutcase and he's suicidal. Because uh, I I was afraid he would be listening, and that would be enough to set him off. And the next thing you know, we'd see flames coming out the windows, so which what, what, we saw eventually. And when you saw how it ended, um, what were your thoughts about ATF and FBI? Well, my thoughts about ATF were consistent from the beginning, just because of my personal exchange interchanges with them. I had an ATF agent come into my office and say, give me a tape, a copy of the tape of the interview you guys did a couple nights ago. There were fugitives that were on the run and they were outside uh, Davidians that were outside the compound and they were all scattered. They were running as fast as they could, but they would stop at pay phones or at friends phones or whatever, and call into the overnight show at the radio station. Wow. And when they, and when, and then we would run tape on it and I had those tapes and I knew that eventually somebody come for him. So this ATF guy comes in and says, give me a copy of the tape of so-and-so. And I said, I, I got it right here on my desk. Give me a subpoena. 
And he goes, well, come on, man, help me out here a little bit. Give me, you know, I don't need, I said, no, it's our station policy. I've got it right here. It'll take you 10 minutes. You can get a judge to give you a subpoena. It's not a big deal, but that's our process. And please, you know, I've been helping you guys out and following your process. Help mine. And, oh, come on, man. He goes, you know, even the bank down in Waco, they released all of this banking records to us without a subpoena. Wow. That's a federal crime. It is. And here's a, here's a, here's a government agent sitting in my office telling me that he's, he's confessing to a crime. And, I, and at the time, even I knew that. And I went like, man, you guys are some dumb you-know-whats. And so it's like, okay. The, the other thing that was funny, and this is a sidebar that's not part of any Netflix documentary that no one ever heard. When the ATF first started calling in again, I was real concerned about pranks and about false information and everything because we – you don't get in that situation very often where you're a participant in the actual story. So I told the first ATF guy that I talked to, the agent in charge, I said, look, here's the deal. We have to have a code. So when your agents call in that I know they're legitimate, you may need something quick like, hey, say this or do this or whatever, because we got you know somebody in the crosshairs or we're about to do this. or I don't know what you're going to do. It doesn't matter. But we got to have a code. So he says, OK, we'll give you our Social Security numbers. I'm telling the truth. So the, the, ATF, the ATF agents would call the radio station and say, this is Agent Smith, Social Security, da 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 right? That was the code, and they did it. So when the FBI came in and took over, and this is one of the reasons my son probably went into the FBI, is that there's so much more buttoned up than the ATF. Right. The FBI guy, so the agent in, in charge, uh, I think it was Jeff Jamar, he, he calls, and I go, look, uh, you know, we're doing this deal with the ATF, and uh, we got to have your social security numbers, have your agents identify themselves. And he just started laughing. He just laughed so hard. And he went like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> and I thought, well, good for you. So he said, we'll, we'll give you our birthdays. So he started rattling, you know, the, the agent right. would say, this is Agent uh, Seraphim, and uh, my birthday is uh, 11-8-49, blah, blah, blah. So, Charlie, as you, as your son uh grew up he heard you talking about all of this and i i think uh that he probably looked at his dad who had a lot of integrity and also uh this instance that uh you you know had to have shared with him uh many times and your your reason uh on atf fbi now the fbi um because i've always felt that about the fbi until now uh, and now I just don't know who to trust. I think it's rotten from the uh, from the you know core in Washington. I don't know how far down it goes. Um, but now that he was an FBI agent and he has started to blow the whistles, and you've seen what's happened to him, what are your thoughts? Well, um, I, you know he's my son, and we're proud of our children all that but um i have five sons and and uh kyle kyle is among the best and the brightest in our country i'm just i'm gonna say that and not just as his father as an observer of of people he's a, an exceptional human being his uh his grasp of facts his cognitive ability his intellect his vocabulary He's been a voracious reader his entire life. He's read so much more than I have. He's a lot smarter than I am. And so when he told me that this was something he was going to do, I was very proud. 
And when I went to Quantico and went to the graduation, listened to the speeches, and especially when I met his, uh, the agents who graduated at the same time with him, man, oh man, if you wanted to put together, you know, the all American team, they were, that's what they were. These are awesome people, former, um, military, former police officers, physically fit, uh, weapons experts, sharpest tacks, really a, just a, uh, an, an, a, an incredible group of co-workers. And then as he, it wasn't very long, and, he, and I could tell in our conversations, he was going like, man, there's stuff going on here that's just not right. I mean, almost from the beginning. Well, actually, from the beginning, Jim Comey gave the graduation speech, mm-hmm. and I was there with, with Kyle's mom, and you know, we listened, and and um, and I came away and I went, wow, that was a that's a really good speech. And Kyle goes, nah, BS. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I've heard it five times already. I was like, oh, it's a canned speech. It sounded like it was really spontaneous and really, mm. you know, really aimed at the audience. Right. And then I, so he, so he was a little bit skeptical. Then when he went into the counterterrorism unit, it was like, oh man, this is a joke. We just waste our time following these people around. Nobody does anything about it. We know who the bad guys are. They don't pick them up and blah, really, blah, blah. And, and then he got out of that. And then he got into the surveillance unit where they would travel around the country and go out to Portland and be in D.C. at the riots there, you know, all the stuff. And he same thing. He said, we know, you know, we know who the bad guys are. Um, he his first assignment, which I don't he doesn't talk about well, his first assignment was for the one of them was for the Trump inauguration. Wow. And there was a young guy that was shining lasers at uh, helicopter pilot's eyes, trying to blind them to make a helicopter crash into the yeah. uh, you know, into the celebration. And and Kyle was teamed with a Secret Service agent and they went out and they they found the guy. They they watched and they saw the thing going up through the trees, the laser, and they went over and they, the guys went into a restaurant. There were five of them and they went into the restaurant. Kyle and his partner went in. They uh, arrested the individual with the laser. Uh, Kyle stayed there and told the others it would probably be a good idea for them not to get out of their seats. <laughs> and at the time, when he told me, I thought, wow, that, you know, he said, they're probably just students, Dad. They were probably just kids from, you know, doing something right. really stupid. But as time went on and we learned about Antifa, which we didn't yeah. know about, and, and, you know, wasn't publicized back then, he, he says, now, those are definitely Antifa. There was no question of it. They were organized. I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing all of this information and being the dad to Kyle that you have been. Uh, American patriot, truly, I think. Charlie, thank you so much. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Cash, how are you, sir? I'm good. Great to be with you, Glenn. Yeah, it's good to, good to have you. Um, this story has bothered me and some of my uh, friends who have been in the military uh, and have mm-hmm. and have had, you know, top secret clearance. They say what the media is reporting is just not possible. That mm-hmm. the, do you agree with that? Yeah, I wrote an extensive piece on it, um, just that, and I think it was published in Breitbart and the New York Post picked it up, but a former deputy director of national intelligence and the guy who did the presidential daily briefing for the commander-in-chief um, have an idea of how this types of access works. And you covered it. 21-year-old National Guardsman, even if you have a top-secret SCI clearance, 
doesn't mean you have a need to know. He certainly did not have a need to know to access under the law this type of intelligence about war planning operations, military movement in the Saudi intelligence. It's some of our most closely kept and guarded secrets, as it should be. Um, so he did not, and I don't believe for one second he has acted alone. And I think the fact mm-hmm. that the New York Times and the Washington Post were the first ones to break the story and investigation yep. before the FBI, the same guys that did Russiagate, and I may be biased because I was the guy that ran the Russiagate investigation and exposed it all, but this doesn't happen by coincidence. Somebody is covering up their tracks and somebody is looking for a scapegoat because the underlying crux of information shows that the current commander in chief, Joe Biden, and his administration have been lying to the world about the failure of our $115 billion in the Ukraine. Okay, so there, there's two subjects here. Uh, I want to talk about the leaks and what they tell you, but mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to stay first on how did this information, I want to make sure I understand and the audience understands, mm-hmm. you can have a top secret clearance and you can log on to whatever that internet thing is, is called. Um, what is it called? The JWIC system. Yeah, JWIC system. You can log on to JWIC, but you have to mm-hmm. specifically know what you're. It's not like it's just piles of documents sitting there. You have to know what you're looking uh, for, and you have to go through other portals to be able to get this stuff. Correct? Yeah. Think of it this way. Think of it as a, ma- a giant mansion that has multiple bedrooms that are locked with uh, the, the goods and household products of whoever lives there. Just because you have the key to the front gate with your top secret SCI clearance doesn't mean you have the keys and the codes to every single room and bank vault in that glorious mansion. Classified information works the same way. There are m- literally millions of federal employees who have a top secret SCI clearance, but there are less than 0.5% of those employees who have the need to know compartmented code access to grant themselves access to this information because it's structured that way on purpose. Whether you can log into a system or walk into the vault room with all the paper documents, you are not by law permitted in the entry room, um, in the foyer even, unless you have been granted that need to know. And a 21-year-old Air National Guardman doesn't have a need to know of this kind of information. So my researchers said, their gut said to them, somebody else that has access Mm -hmm. to these documents either sent them to him or whatever got them to him. And he's just a front guy. Yeah, that's what I wrote. That's what I specifically Mm. came out and said before, as soon as the story was breaking and people were screaming at me. And I said, listen, it's not about politics, Democrat, Republican. This guy has had this documentation and putting it out for six months. That's a campaign. That's not one page printed off and stolen off a printer and said, Oh, here you go. Here's, one piece of intelligence. There's hundreds of documents. We don't even know the extent of it. And you can't access over that over a continued period of time as a 21-year-old Air National Guardsman in Cape Cod. It just doesn't work that way. Somebody, either a DOD or the intelligence community, either wanted this information out or he found someone who was wanted the information out like he did and helped him with that process and access. Look, if I'm wrong, I kind of actually hope I'm wrong, Glenn, and here's why. Because if I'm wrong, the other truth is even scarier, that our classification system is so broken and so destroyed that a rookie can walk in Correct. and go harness our, our nuclear secrets. That's what happens if I'm wrong. And I, it's not about me being right or wrong. It's the alternative. It's so much worse. Well, that's what, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things I keep coming back to. We should be talking about this 
because mm-hmm. this guy either had somebody on the inside or you're right. Mm-hmm. It's so porous that any of the millions of you, as you say, that have that top secret clearance can go in and get anything. And mm-hmm. Americans need to know not not Republicans, not Democrats. This is all of us. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And that's what's so striking about this. And it's why it's riddled with analogies to Julian Assange and whatever your political orientation is. You can't. I might be in the minority in this, but I don't justify this kind of behavior because it exposes waste, fraud and corruption. There's a way to go about it. And this is not it. And so for those politically who are cheering this action because of the end result, that's not how the United States of America works, because there's going to be 100 guys behind him that do this if you permit this sort of justified disclosure of intelligence. And I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Okay, so now let's try to figure out, is there a pattern in the leaks? Because they seem to be Mm. kind of all over the board. Some of them seem to be something that could have helped us with some of our, you know, frenemies, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, there was only really the only one that I saw that I thought was really damaging was the one that we have a spy at the, you know, in the Kremlin. That's that's not good for the health of that spy. Um, who did this help? What side did this help? I, I think it was um, a combination of things. And what I mean by that is that you saw sort of a shotgun disclosure because the ultimate goal of what they wanted to disclose, in my opinion, based on what's out there, is the information regarding the Ukraine conflict. And the other disclosures were put out there to sort of have lines of effort to say, wait, let's throw some people off our tracks. That's another Mm. reason why I don't think this was done alone. This wasn't just some kid who's like, ah, I'm just going to throw up a bunch of pieces of paper in the air. Whatever you guys grab in this chat room, we can talk about. No, no. It was very specifically done. And it was done with other people assisting him to do it, like the folks in the chat rooms who might also be government employees. I don't know who any of these people are, but apparently the New York Times and the Washington Post do. And maybe they want to go talk to them, at least the FBI, and figure it out. But it was done in this fashion. It's kind of going back to Assange. He did it in a more streamlined fashion because he said he had a revolving door of information to put out. This may be the scenario here. This was just sort of the first shot. Does he have other conspirators who have more information out there? We don't know that answer yet, and neither does the FBI. So does it appear to be the the information that you have seen? Does it appear to be a message that your government is lying to you and uh, you have no idea what's going on in Ukraine or that to me? Yeah, that's that's the central message to me. Um, and, he, and, and you have to look at the characters that are involved. Chairman Milley, who used to work for me when I was chief of staff at DOD, has become the most political operative in Washington, D.C. And that's saying something when, as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, by law, you are forbidden to enter politics. Wow. And he was the guy that said, hey, I'm going to call my Chinese counterpart if during the Trump administration yeah. we uh, are going to come after you. He has, one, broken the law by entering the operational chain of command. Two, the thing he wanted to achieve was a relationship with the incoming Biden administration because he wanted to keep his job. I think you're going to see down the road people in senior DOD positions like that say, because it's going to come to a head, either Joe Biden lied to the world about the Ukraine and its status, or he was lied to about the intelligence about the Ukraine and said we were succeeding. The other piece is members of Congress were the Gang of Eight informed about the underlying intelligence. If that's accurate, then Congress also lied to America 
while saying the Ukrainian effort was a win or we were winning. And I think when you enter that fray and sort of have government officials target each other, somebody's trying to cover their own mm-hmm. rear end. And we're going to find out when it shakes out. And I remember Chairman Milley's uh, leadership role is up in three months. He's out. He's gone. And he's been no stranger to talk to media while in that seat and especially when he leaves that seat. So it, I would say stay tuned. But it's a very suspicious line of effort. Um. When you uh, uh, when you look at the information about the Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, uh, describe it uh, in relatable terms of people who are not really following it. They just know, you know, we're there. We're doing stuff. It looks like it could get dangerous. How bad is it? It's bad. We're doing everything but going to actually declare war. When you spend $115 billion in in less than a year, what you have to do is arm, man, train, and equip. What that means is it's cute by half. We don't have, quote, unquote, conventional American soldiers on the ground. That's That may be mostly true, but we have contractors, former United States military operatives on the ground, training them on tanks, training them on weapon systems, training them how to shoot, training them how to defend their positions, etc., because they can't do it alone. That all costs money. But the problem with Ukraine is it's going to be the modern day Afghanistan. They don't have an international banking system to access. So we have to give them literally pallets of cash. And we know how that's gone in the past. And we have no idea where this money is going. And this is problematic for many reasons, but the most is the following. In a year, we are going to have conventional American forces on the ground in the Ukraine. And we're going to be back into Afghanistan situation because everyone in Congress, or most of them, is bending the knee to the defense industrial complex, which is the most corrupt organization in Washington, D.C. Na, 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 na.